0: Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic, we're back with Ben Harris. We're continuing a conversation from before, and we've actually gone into a direction that's near and dear to my heart, which is the legal ramifications and commercial use of generative images. And we're just talking through potentially doing a bunch of t-shirt designs in the style of Nintendo, for example, and, and what that means. Ben, do you want to give a little bit of a preamble on how we got here?
1: Yeah, sure. So yeah, for those of you who didn't catch the first podcast that I was on, uh, yeah, I run a startup called Vgami, which has to do with basically a video, an AI for video games where we basically ask questions be able to get answers based on whatever it is you're looking for and uh, one of the things that me and my marketing team are talking through are just like how we can you know get some promotional content and with AI tools being what they are today now we have things like mid journey where we can get custom designed artwork by basically just making a, dis- a description based off of whatever we think about the v- the world of video games has such a rich deep history with artwork I mean that's like that's when we think about a video games if I have say Super Mario Others three, what pops into your head? Probably a big yellow box with yeah. Mario jumping through it. So I was like, that's that's what pops into our heads because there's nostalgia driven with the artwork. The artwork that was put out by the marketing teams is what sticks into our minds, that positioning mindset uh that, that is so powerful with marketing. And when we have tools like Midjourney now available to us, uh, we can the sky's the limit for what we can create with our creative concept. What Christian and I were just talking about is what are the legal ramifications of doing that? <laughs>
0: It, it's really a gray area at the moment, honestly. So uh, I was just actually talking to a colleague of mine. I actually, I'm on the board of his company, He's a serial entrepreneur, very smart guy, who was involved with Napster and file sharing. And he was in front of the Supreme Court at one point, talking through the whole like DRM issue surrounding distribution of music downloads and all that kind of stuff. And he'll tell me why all content should be available for anybody to use and that everything's Anyway. And it's, it's a viewpoint that actually holds a lot. But the, the United States does have copyright protections. This is actually one of the things that makes it possible for you to you know invent something and have some protection that that investment of time that you put into it isn't going to be immediately stolen and copied and put out into the world. And it's what, one of the reasons that the Industrial Revolution happened very well here is that we had good protection. If you know anything about intellectual property rights today, China does not have those same protection. And so if you do any manufacturing in China, it's immediately Immediately being ripped off. There's no IP protection. You're done. So you, you know, you have to balance the act of. Well, I know it's going to be ripped off. Am I better at marketing them, et cetera? The point of where that matches up with this derivative content being created by AI. Problem with imagery is your intellectual property is only as good as your defense of it is. Like if if you don't sue everybody that does something with your intellectual property, it's basically indefensible. There are certain companies that you have to be very, very wary of (laughs) uh, because they are very defensive. They should be. That's their whole brand. Like you could think of of Disney, their image is everything. And it'd be foolish not to defend that at every turn. And so if you make the mistake of doing something in the style of Disney and it puts it one of their sacred characters into it, you're probably <laughs> going to get sued.
1: <laughs> yes, probably going to get sued. In fact, you can probably count on it.
0: Yeah, th- th- this is weird. Like with music, it's there's a lot of lawsuits going on right now with derivative work. Uh, there, there was a really famous one that just happened and I don't remember which way it was decided. It was just outside of my like my mental bubble, um, but it was peripheral enough that I was paying a little bit of attention. And it had to do with a chord progression mm-hmm. and whether that that was the same exact, that chord progression itself meant that it was derivative work because these two were both used it and one predated the other. And so the same types of questions are going to come up in this space too, like at what point does a color become something that you can copyright? You know, there when do you get to the point where it's intellectual property or not? Going all the way back to the foundation of the United States, when the framers of the Constitution and all that were coming together and talking about things, one of the subjects that actually was hotly debated was intellectual property rights and royalties around it. And it was in this conversation earlier today where the, that individual pointed out where we get the term royalty from and why we should be morally opposed to it. <laughs> that's a very good point. Yeah. I hear that. I get that. And as an artist, you know, somebody who puts creative things into the world, if somebody was to directly take and say that, that it was something I created, that's not legal. You can't do that. That's a forgery. But if they were to go and copy something I did or even just take a photograph of it and put it out into the world, is that the same thing?
1: Yeah. So you remember uh, remember those those image distorter apps way back when you like take your face and you could squish it and like massage it? I, I remember it was like something do or something <laughs> like I, I don't even remember the name of it. It was like an old app like back in the 90s. But that was the idea of like you could take an image, you could distort it, and but it was the source image was what you use to make that derivative. Now, was that derivative distorted enough to qualify as, you know, original artwork or something that was an original derivative? Like what at what point, the threshold, at what point do you reach that level? that it is truly a unique intellectual piece of property versus the original that's just been tweaked a little bit here and there. Yeah,
0: I, I had this conversation with a IP uh, attorney at one point and I, I don't remember the specific number, but I, I think it was something like 20% change. I said, great, define change for me. Can you, can you describe when it comes to a visual- And put it in math. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mathify it. Right. If if I change the color, the hue by 20%, is that enough? If yeah. I change the saturation by 20%, is it that the image needs to be 20% of, of respondents, 25% of respondents don't think it's the same image. Like, how do we define what was enough of a change? And that's when when you start to really ask those types of questions, it, it gets into the this is why music is such a fascinating one for me. I think the reason that it was able to be quantified music and it can go through this like deep uh, set of lawsuits is we have notation for it. We have a way of describing it because, you know, there's the, the music, the sheet music itself. And a layperson can look at that and go, that looks an awful lot like that. And so it it doesn't take being an expert in it to be able to define how closely it matches something else. However, with pretty much everything else, there isn't the equivalent. I mean, in literature, it's really easy, right? Yeah, I can see product. that sentence
1: is it, that is ripped off. I can see it. That is that is copyright copyright violation. You're out. You know? Right.
0: But but when it gets to this now we're at a level of like abstraction where you've got these tools like Mid Journey where it's not just derivative of one thing. It's actually derivative of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of mm-hmm. you no know, a, a style is defined by well and here's the other challenge too is like
1: we make the assumption that what we've received is original like we're not necessarily there's no real verification or validation that what that what was generated for me has not been generated before for someone else we assume it has I mean and mathematically and based on what we know about AI it shouldn't like the probability is should be extremely low but I know mean, I don't know if you've ever built a script before where you expect it to create a random number every single time and then it creates yeah, the same cool. number for like one or two instances it can't Happen, you know?
0: That's what we call the uh, all random number of generation, we call pseudo random number generation yes. it's an unsolved problem in, in uh, computer There times. is no
1: such thing as a random number, it just doesn't exist. Yeah, the the
0: but baby gate that keeps my dog from coming down the stairs just fell down, that's what that was in the
1: background. As long as the, not the dog wasn't writing it. <laughs>
0: Hopefully not. But you no, know, this is actually, a, I, there's a am trying to remember what the term for it is called, but there, there's actually a term in the diffusion model um, world that talks about matching something that was used to feed it in the first place, like Matching some of the training data, mm-hmm. and uh, they they va- they validate the models themselves on the frequency by which that occurs. Well, so,
1: and the other thing too is like I, I just there was an article, um, actually it was an article, it was a lawsuit <laughs> that was being uh, put forth towards Midjourney uh, based on the fact that they're using a whole bunch of images to derive to train their model. So there's I don't know how many millions of images that they were using. I think they were pulling from sources maybe like Deviant Art again, don't quote me on that, but just like wherever the sources were that they were pulling their their training materials out. They didn't have the rights to use them for this training?
0: Yeah, they were, it was, uh, what is it called? Uh, I'm trying to remember those stock photography websites are the ones that are suing them and uh, like Getty Images and some of those. And it's because those are copyrighted work and they they did not get the copyright to use it and they are commercially using it, but not in the way that the copyright's actually written. And that's why it's a really interesting lawsuit because it's gonna-
1: It's gonna be one of those groundbreaking lawsuits that's gonna kind of, it's going to set some standards I have I have a suspicion but. it absolutely will
0: and the way that that lands well actually my, my current company a lot like a lot of what we're doing <laughs> is based on that particular problem mm-hmm. if you've got copyrighted work how will I compensate I would love for my work to be in your model mm-hmm. because you know I'm because I'm being fairly compensated for it I'd be happy with that and people creating derivative work of it even though a risk of like making me no longer need it um that's okay like people are going to if I'm good at being an artist people are going to want to copy what I did anyway and they're going to create their rivets anyway so i don't see a problem with that that's just about getting your your style into the world and hopefully it's copied right well yeah and mid-journey is
1: a it's a dice roll system like you don't know necessarily what you're going to get i mean you describe it but you get what you get whereas when you work with an artist you kind of see their pro- portfolio and you can see their style you can s- kind of see what to expect even if you were to take that portfolio run it through a generator and generate something that was new you'd get something that came out similar to that artist right um, we kind of know what Snoop Dogg's music sounds like. (laughs) We kind of have an expectation what his next album would sound like.
0: Exactly right. And and that's, I mean, you've just described Vala AI. One of the the first premises I had for it, it it has had a long evolution in the six months since I decided I was going to start doing this, because this world changes so fast that it's gone through four major iterations in that time period. Uh, Originally, it was kind of an art share concept, and then it transformed into, I'll give you a why, and that's how it kind of happened. I had an art show, sold all my artwork, has one particular artwork that a bunch of people wanted to buy, but I only had one copy. I said, hey, why don't you buy a print of it? I'll sell you a print. They're like, no, 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 just want the original. And they're like, well, actually what I want is the original, but I don't want that crow in it. I want it to have an octopus in it or whatever, right? And I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds like a commission. I don't want to do a commission. Commission suck because it's your idea in my style. And I don't want to do that. And that made me think about the generative AI stuff. And I went, wait a second, what if, but there's value in that. And I don't have to be the one doing it. It takes me, you know, how long to do a painting to start off with, there's yep. not a quick thing. So if there's a way of furthering my own, you know, putting my style out there and furthering and creating more work that people are valuing and they want it, well, why shouldn't I do that? But then I've got to have a model trained on the Christian Hammer style. So. Well, and that's
1: and it, we were I, I don't know if we were talking about this on or off the previous recording, um, but the uh, the mu- music, same thing. There's there's a unique sound everybody has, and uh, you know, I, I'm so I'm a classically trained piano, and I've uh, I've been playing for a number of years actually since I was like four or five years old. Wow. Um, but I have a unique sound and it is it is uniquely me it is different than any of my you know other piano friends they have their own sound and it's like if you wanted to hear this song played in the style of ben harris this is how you're going to hear it. it's going to come out sounding like this because I've, i only play it a certain way i've developed a sound set um you know wolfgang Amadeus mozart had a unique sound even though he learned from haydn he had some similarities Haydn had a different sound like there's you can hear them differently and the same thing with artists they, there's distinct differences between them and those are the the, if anything from an artist standpoint that's really the copyright is that unique thumbprint
0: yeah and that's the this is actually it becomes such a complex issue when because this is something that's been already decided um style is not copyrightable because how do you how do you end that where at what point does it see the
1: thing is up till this point we have been using the systems that we knew how to use to define as of this moment in time this period in history where now we have tools like ai to basically train itself we can Understand stuff. Previously, we could not, and before this is how we had to operate. Going forward, we have the ability to operate in a different way.
0: Exactly right. So now you're 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 selling my story. So <laughs> th- this is actually what we believe too: is that the technology is so outpacing the ability of governments to regulate that it really becomes about ethical consent. And if I decide that I I want my artwork into the world, and I do want people to be able to do whatever the heck they want with my style, and I get compensated for it. I'm going to do that. And if they agree with that same premise, they're going to use the tool that does that. They're not going to go off and use mid journey and try to copy it because they want you know be ethically compliant as well. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be bad actors that go and use whatever the heck tool and say in the style of Ben Harris, you know, that, that's going to happen too. We just yeah. don't want to encourage it. And we want to encourage good behavior.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and it's like what it all boils down to is, is data, right? I mean, it, it's a data, it's a data story that drives our understanding of everything. Uh, you like take Vigami, for example, like, you know what drives video game information? Data. What drives you know information about an artwork's portfolio? Data. So it the more data, quality data we have to be able to answer questions, um, the right question. So that that's really what it's that's really what this next wave is going to be about. It's about building that data. And one of the things I think is going to be um, challenging for these macro search engines, which again we touched in a previous podcast, is that they've got they're they're trying to eat too much of the elephant at once. Like they have to take they have to rethink this whole process about doing smaller bite-sized chunks to like if you're gonna t- if you're gonna talk about video games be an expert in video game data if you're gonna be an expert in movies be an expert in movie data if you're gonna be an expert in artists, be an expert in artist data and that's how you're going to define your niche in this next way. i
0: couldn't agree more with that statement it, it's it, you actually in a way just answered a question that's been bothering me so the uh the search engine piece like you and i said this in, i think the previous one and if not it was in, offline between them that like the google's in trouble G- google was in trouble but now they're really in trouble and uh the I'll just briefly describe what I saw as the problem which is content creators originally in, when the world was new they uh, they created their thing and it was put into a physical form and the physical form was given to others and that's how they got value back because it was traded bartered bought whatever at some point we had the printing press I don't remember when that was invented but whatever and all of a sudden that that same one-to-one creation and content consumption uh went away but it was distributed in a bigger way so now I can get it out to many many people and so yeah there was- an intermediary, or a publisher, right? That they got in the way, but they were compensating the content creator no matter what. You know, they continue on down the line, eventually you get to a dis, a disintermediating point in which all of a sudden content has no value, not directly. I think it was the free daily newspaper that created this. It might've been radio because of music. One of those two, the, the consumer of it was getting it for free. The creator of it wasn't getting paid by the consumer of it in any way. There was no subscription service, nothing like that. It was via advertising. The web picked up right from that point, right? Like we were creating websites, we're creating all the stuff, giving it away for free, but we're hoping that there's enough people seeing it. We get enough money via advertising to fix it. Google and search just capitalized on that. They did nothing new there. They, They just tried to make what was out there possible to find. What happens now when your principal interface is through these discrete language model tools that there is no connection between the creator of that data in the first place and the consumer of it anymore. And there's no place for the advertiser to jump in Anymore, it, it totally destroys the advertising ecosystem, which I think is a very good thing. Um, but yep. I'm, not, I'm not sure how that particular like it, advertising. Well, I'm sick to death of seeing
1: oh. kitty litter ads. So I'm
0: just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think we can do better.
1: I mean, there. I, I, I this is. I'll get a little soapbox here. I've always felt that advertising has completely lost its art. Like there used to be in the old days. You there was an art form to advertising that you know, especially in my generation. We grew up in like you know the 80s, and you know we 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 had. We saw, well, and I'm, not, I'm not gonna call it quality advertising, but we saw advertising that actually <laughs> has some thought about it. You know, be like Mike, right? You know, it's like yeah. we had, so there was thought put into it. Uh, and the reason that it was successful or it had any imprinting on us is because they actually spent more than five minutes slapping a picture on it and then, you know, choosing the demographics and then hit, you know, I'm gonna spend this much and then, you know, click buy. You know, like there was more thought that it went into it than that. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that with things like YouTube and even some shorts. I'm maybe I'll give it to the shorts, but my pun- my point is that <laughs> we have lost touch with how to properly advertise. It doesn't have to be invasive. It doesn't have to be an offensive thing. It can be targeted, but it can be valuable.
0: Yeah, fun, creative, interactive in a form, even if that interaction is just, you put a song in my head, now I'm singing it.
1: When you see a trailer for a movie that you actually want to watch, you click the trailer, you watch it. And it's like that 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 simple connection is where so many advertisers just miss the mark. Because if they just realize people do want to see content. Content, you just have to present it the right way.
0: Yeah, the right way in the right context. That's that's one of the things that always offended me is it like I mean, I've always thought of advertising. I used to work in the digital ad tech economy uh, at a company that was right at the center of it. So I, I'm uh, I'm saying this as a as a somebody who came out of that industry to a degree. Um, I've always thought of it as parasitic. You're you're trying to put yourself between the creator and the consumer in a way that doesn't benefit either one of them, really. Like you're you're giving money to the creator that Benefits them somewhat, and you are taking away the attention of the consumer, which degrades you know degrades the relationship with the yeah. creator. And your point about like there used to be thought put into it, I, this gets back to my the, the easier it is to do, the more garbage is created. The harder it is to find the beautiful thing, like that 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 creative inspiring thing. And ad got so advertising got so easy because you weren't just buying television ads on four major networks, mm-hmm. right? Like where there's competition of dollars, which meant you need to spend real mm-hmm. money to get in there now oh, it was this as thing I got 140 dollars to spend um you know here's my slap, slap shot crap that I'm gonna put out I'm gonna say buy spend 140 bucks off and going the ease of it is what created the garbage yeah. and now we're at the other side where I don't I actually don't see an easy way for an advertiser anymore I actually think that it's going to be get really back to that you need to give me something of real value or it's not getting in here I'm not going to see it I have no reason to and that's a good thing
1: well yeah and it's the, the, the advertising is going to be there's going to be more value coming in I, i'm I actually we this one of the things we're working on with the with vgami right now is how we can incorporate advertising in a way that is meaningful and i guess if there's any takeaway for the audience kind of listening into this is that there are entrepreneurs who care there are entrepreneurs who care and are tired of looking at kitty litter ads (laughs) so (laughs) i love you singled that one out yeah Nothing against cat litter, if that's if that's your business, but uh, that's not why I go online. Just just to be clear. I, it just reminded
0: me of uh, another story. Like I, I've often, I will try to use any technology I find for what I consider to be a good cause. And uh, I used ad tech to solve a problem that I was personally having, and I thought that a lot of other uh, individuals might. And the problem was that my spouse, like, is incredibly hard to buy gifts for. Not because not because she's a difficult person to be around or anything like that. She's amazing. It's actually because the both of us and most people I know, like, if I wanted, I probably already bought it. I already have <laughs> the same so, conversation. Oh, man. So how do you, how do you find that? I was like, well, maybe there's things she's doing online that like clue me in. Ask ChatGPT. Give me, list yeah. <laughs> Give <laughs> me. original ideas for wife. <laughs> that was so generic. I did that. It was so generic. It tried. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're using gpt 4 though.
0: I haven't tried Chat G P 4 yet. You yeah. know, yeah. Mother's Day is coming up. Good point. See, another person that's hard to buy for it because she bought everything that she ever wanted. But it. That's a place where in that context in that moment of you saying something like what the heck should I get my mother-in-law for her birthday, right? That's a moment where advertising actually has a chance to add value Like Mm -hmm. at least the the brand or the company that has something to offer that might be compelling and interesting But if in that moment, this is where the context then comes up If in that moment I got a kitty litter ad. I'm gonna be extremely frustrated Well that or if you're advertising on
1: a site that just doesn't care about that kind of stuff I mean, just just throwing out examples, but like if if you're if you're playing video Game, right? And you're going on and you're just trying to get like game information and you're being bombarded with, you know, just, you know, Valentine's Day ads. I suppose you can make the argument that you should be caring about that, but that's not why I'm on the website. I mean, let's right. be clear. Yeah. And I know that there are these services that have these like generic, you know, state, you just default ads, you just pop them in, they just start generating ad clicks based off of whatever cookie information you got. But we can do better. We can do way better than this.
0: Yeah. And we're at that reset moment. I, I think that uh, ChatGPT, et cetera, They they're, introducing this moment where there has to be a change yeah it might be as simple as uh you know i i was at nike for a period of time and i'm very familiar with their brand bible and how they think about their brand and i can imagine though i'm not current with that team but i can imagine how they would approach something like a large language model and presenting their brand in a moment where you're doing something mm-hmm. so you might be asking ChatGPT to say like how can i run faster and they would love to say well it's important that you have the right training equipment and it's important that you have have the right apparel and shoes because weight and comfort and blah blah. Like they could list off a whole bunch of things that in that moment it doesn't have to say you should try the Nike Flyknit, you know Vapor 2.8, whatever the heck the newest is. It doesn't have to say that. It can direct you towards it anyway. Yeah. And, and they would love to be able to do that. And as long as it's based on, you know, it's not lying, it's not false advertising. Uh, and that's an interesting thing for me too. Is now there's going to have to be a lot more truth in advertising because it's going to be very easy to look back and say you made that claim
1: yes very visible very visible that's true
0: but it's it's fascinating times that we're in and it's exciting to be at this frothy phase i i was saying to you earlier that i i love the early phase of a startup where um it's before you know if what you're doing is really viable when it's it's all ideas (laughs) and hope and like dreams and naivety and this entire industry is in that phase right now it's a very like there's so many things bubbling up so frequently that every day you're you're just seeing uh, some to some of it looks like magic amazing things occurring
1: the speed at which all this is happening is is overwhelming. And and I've been in the tech space for over 20 years now. And it I mean, and I, I've i seen things and, and it's just this. <laughs> this is un this is unbelievable. I, you know, the, the, there's a uh, there's a quote that comes to mind of just like, you know, and information will abound. And like that is totally where we are at right now in the time of history. It's just information abounds. this is fast, fast information. And I thought Web 3.0 was going to be. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, I was there with you. I was very much like, oh, blockchain is going to change the world. It's Web like, 3.0.
1: boom. Web yeah. Yeah, blockchain.
0: Here we go. Nope. Nope. No. I think that, like all those eras, though, we learned a lot from them. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of the Web 3.0 stuff that are going to continue on and be part of this continued transformation. I think that, like the edge networking aspect of it, the the, the getting the content back into the the uh, like you create data, getting the data back into your hand, so that it's part of your you know identity online as you go around. Like that's a sovereign identity thing that goes around with you. I think that distributed ledgers does a lot. Of potential on you know verified trust networks and data transmission all that kind well, stuff. Well, and I think
1: that's the scary part about this AI, uh, this AI transition is that a lot of this is out of our hands. I mean, like it's in the AI model and it's it's the magic of the AI language processing and all that's happening behind the scenes. It, it's it's mysterious. And I think for a lot of people who are just kind of starting to get, you know, dip their toe into it, uh, it can be overwhelming.
0: So I asked somebody else this earlier today and I want to get your take on it. I've been struggling and I think I understand now why, but it's just a theory. Why did Siri and Alexa not create this moment the way that the large language models did? What's so different now?
1: I will tell you that the reason I never use Siri or Alexa is the simple reason where if I'm having a conversation you and you responded to like Alexa or Siri. I wouldn't talk to you either.
0: <laughs> well, that's really close to it. That what I what I came away with too, which is those felt like I was dealing with an appliance, very similar to how you were talking about Google before, where I had to talk to Google like a search engine. Mm-hmm. And now with ChatGPT, I'm talking to it like a friend or a you know or a helper, somebody, a human. I'm, it's it's a human interface. The
1: interface you're getting away, you're getting out of the interface's way. The interface was the problem, and this was the, what we learned with you know when we transitioned from. Gamacy to Vgami was that, you know, when we were building this, Gamacy was this, you know, database of video game information that we were compiling into a front end. So for those of you who didn't catch the previous podcast, but for this with Vgami, we're basically removing the interface entirely and basically engaging you directly with a chatbot, an AI chatbot and that AI chatbot or AI companion, as we call it, allows you to ask things the way that you would ask it in your own native language, whether you're good at English, whether English is not your first language, it's like you have the ability to communicate the way that you would communicate. To anybody, it allows you to express your ideas the way that you express ideas. So the thing I want to
0: see with Vighami eventually uh. is I'm, I'm playing a VR game in an immersive world, mm-hmm. and I'm in this space, and there's my companion with me in the game as a physical manifestation, like an avatar. Yeah, like an avatar, right? <laughs> That's but I like great idea. say, like, do I go into the you know the haunted cave or do I climb the forbidden mountain? Like, which direction should I go? What's the benefits of each? Right, as you get ready to go in front
1: of it, it stops and says, "You shall not pass."
0: <laughs> it turns into Gandalf.
1: <laughs> Then <laughs> you keep on trying, and then it starts yelling at you. You shall not pass.
0: <laughs> that's perfect. That's exactly what I want to see it become. Uh, I, 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 Add I, to the list, please. Like, make sure it's in version 2.0 at least. 2.0, yeah, yeah, 2.0. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll go work
1: uh, well with the Meta Meta's VR. Yeah,
0: that's still a thing. Is that still gonna happen? That's, I don't know. I have no idea.
1: I, I did like the Oculus approach. I, I was very excited about Oculus until it got bought out by Meta, and maybe less excited. Not that I, not that it couldn't have been something cool, but. Uh, uh, I still have high hopes of VR. I've never smelled more playing video games, but it's definitely hard and it's a tax on the body.
0: Yeah, there's, you know, the hardware with Meta VR Quest or the Quest 2 or whatever the heck this thing's called. But like the the problem that I found with it is uh, it's low resolution. So you always know that you're in a game. Yeah. But otherwise, but even with that, it was an amazing experience. And then the second problem was like, I, I use it with Steam and I try to play like DCS, uh, DCS with it. And it has no ability to connect my head hand movements really with the things in the game, which you should be able to do. I was confused by that, it, but it's anytime you have to suspend that reality and get out of it, you kind of ruin the whole experience. And that's, we're at that, like that, uh, what's the Ankeny Valley with VR right now. We're like, it's almost great. It's really good. Yeah. It's fun, but it's Way not-
1: better than it was in the
0: 90s. Oh yeah, geez. I, I wrote a once very terrible VR simulation for uh, veterinary surgeons on how to learn how to do procedures. Oh man. It, 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 it did its job. It was terrible.
1: <laughs> well, I, I like I said, I, I've never smelled more playing games in VR. But it's it's definitely something that it, it's got to come a little bit further for it to become. It has to be something that is organic, and that's that's what makes this AI revolution so potentially uh, just game changing because it is organic. It's very very easy to get into it. I mean, my my dad who is pretty tech savvy, but you know he's in his you know sixties and he can jump he can jump right into it and start typing away, and he's getting responses like, he's like, you know, who did the sound design to Pac-Man? And it gives you the answer. It's like,
0: hey, did it. Found it right away. Didn't have to spend 20 pages digging through trying to figure out.
1: No, toys. magic. It just, it just did it.
0: Yeah, that is, that is it. That is the, the fundamental difference, which is funny, because I actually went to school specifically for uh, human and technology interface. MIT has a media <clears> lab. <throat> um, when I was going through school, Washington State had a program that was a combination between the fine arts school, the architecture department, electrical engineering, and the computer science departments. And, uh, it it was really before this was like critical because yeah people use computers, you know, personal computers were around, but we didn't really know where it was all headed. And we were trying to play with all the different ways we could interface with things. But what was always important was to get out get out of the way. The technology an enabling thing, how do we get out of the way of what the person's trying to accomplish with it? And all good UX is that. And that's what the large language models in their chat GVT like systems solve But what's really coming next for me is the tools built on top of it. Like what you are doing um, is fascinating on that front. But I can yeah. imagine like, you know, what happens when you try to solve the same problem Expedia did, but you're doing it in this way. You know, you've got the travel agent type tool that you can interact with mm-hmm. that knows your preferences and knows your, you know, that knows all the things that you care about. And it can say, hey, by the way, on Tuesday at five o'clock, you've got a meeting at this place. The nearest hotels are these, these are the rooms. We think you'd like this one. Do you want us to book it for you? Yeah, like that's like, part. here's my
1: PlayStation account. Here's my Xbox account. I, I just want to buy the game. Just give it to me. It's like, yeah, yeah.
0: Exactly. We want it. We want it to be
1: something. Again, it's a companion. We want that companion to do things for you and, and help you out. Yeah. And uh, and that's that's search done your way. Search done your way. I like that. That's
0: a great. Is that your tagline?
1: No, I just made that up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put it on a T-shirt.
1: Yeah. You, use Midjourney. Yeah. God. I mean, I've got a
0: little uh, for the <laughs> podcast. There's a little unicorn when things go well, and then there's a little troll when things go bad that I designed a long time ago for a totally actually for a video game company uh, for a video game technology company it was a social media platform for video gaming when world of warcraft was really big and uh like there was a lot of the mmos really just come up and it was going to be a social network so you could connect all your profiles together across those different things and i created a little mascot for it when the site went down which was this little troll and he was like slings and arrows like rocks were hitting him and he's hiding behind his shield and he's reaching for his sword and uh i repurposed those for this podcast because i thought they were freaking hilarious and the social media site never took off Oh, man.
1: Yeah, it was. That uh, was actually, you know, a little side note. I, I was on an MMO that didn't take off as well. And uh, but uh, I, that was there was a whole bunch of MMOs back then. I remember there was like an MMO website chart that was like tracking all these new ones that were coming out. Uh, at one point, we were like in the top ten. Like everybody was really excited about it. It it, I, I, it died, but then it kind of got resurrected. I think it's green lit on Steam. They they rebuild and it didn't really. It was too late at that point. But video game journey, man. That's that's the
0: way it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun industry in some ways, but it was also it's also a really difficult one just because of the, everybody wants to do it. It sounds fun.
1: It is, and, and the and the gamers' expectations are so high. You know, there there is no subpar experience that they're okay with. I mean, there's exceptions, but generally speaking, it has to really wow them for them to get excited and be on board with it. Uh, I'm very, I'm always impressed with, with uh, people like Eric Barone, who did like Stardew Valley, or, you know, the group that, did, you know, Subnautica was a game I was mentioning. It's like, that it was a, an independent that became in something larger because of just dedication pushing through the maybe the negative comment wasn't so positive but or they had something just truly special that everybody would just kind of just jumped onto, and that's uh that's the video game industry in a nutshell it's like you either have it or you don't <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and, and because everybody wants to do it, it it's uh it's, it's cutthroat in a very like brutal brutal way how is cutthroat ever not brutal christian that's a great question from the audience <laughs> But uh, it's, it's brutal, and uh, and that also means that you we, never really get. A your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. You never really get a chance to um, fail. Like you, it, in in everything else, as an entrepreneur, you've got to be good at dealing with failure. Yeah. And in that, it's like one, and you're done. You're out. You didn't make it. Yeah.
1: No, it's it's good stuff.
0: We Fantastic. covered a lot. <laughs> yeah, we we did. Uh, that's how almost all of conversations with me tend to go. <laughs> good. No, I love it. We were good. Um,
1: I was gonna mention. I, I forgot to mention this on the last podcast. But if anybody wants to follow me, I'm on uh, Twitter at Redmond Gamer so if you want to reach out to me and just uh, I, I post a lot of cool stuff out there but also you can catch me on uh, LinkedIn as well I, um, I'm up there I don't even know what my username
0: is on LinkedIn well you're you're Ben Harris but uh, let's not see not the Irish one yeah not the Irish Ben Harris you are uh, Redmond Gamer online. there we go I'm consistent good let's go with that <laughs> you can also find him by just looking up Ben Harris and Bigami uh, and he'll show up first so hey thanks for joining me again on another episode of TechTastic it was fantastic having you Well. Uh, when you get to a point where you've got like some major announcement, uh, like a launch or something like that about the the platform that you're building out, I'd love to have you back on so you can talk about that. Absolutely. I'll definitely keep you posted. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to that next conversation. And thank you for listening to this episode of Tastic. There's going to be a two-week hiatus while I am traveling around Europe. It won't be a Tastic episode, I'm sorry for that. But I hope you subscribed. I hope you found this informative and interesting. And if you have a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, if you'd like to be on the show, the best way to do that is to email me at hammer at techtastic.txt.